Thank you for joining IAB There. And now your host, David Cohen. Over to you, David. All right, hello everyone. Uh, today is uh, Tuesday, August 4th, 2020. Uh, and we have Tropical Storm Isaias howling outside. So hopefully uh, we will continue to have all of our electricity and we will be able to get through uh, the show today. That's the idea anyway. Uh, I'm David Cohen, I'm the president of the IAB and IAB there, for those of you who have not tuned in before, is our uh, daily live stream in which we connect the digital advertising ecosystem. The topic that we have for today is programmatic advertising in 2020 and beyond with a good friend and special guest, Luke Stillman, who is the SVP of Global Intelligence at Magna Global. Luke, why don't you join me in the stream and uh, let's start our conversation. It is great to see you, sir. How are you? I am great. I'm glad you had to pronounce the storm and not me, David, but... Uh... Yes, yes. I've <laughs> seen many people uh, uh, muff that up uh, on the uh, on air, on the news, so I've, I've gotten uh, quite accustomed to Isaias. It's a, it's a tongue twister. So let's, let's fill everyone in on our kind of uh, relationship. We work together at Magna for many years. I don't even know how many years, but we've worked together uh, quite closely and uh, it's great to see you again. We haven't really uh, connected in, in some time, certainly since this uh, COVID um, uh, pandemic has hit us. So uh, thank you for uh, for joining and I'm looking forward to our, uh, our chat. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Uh, for those folks who are unenlightened and are not aware of Magna and what Magna does, give a quick kind of elevator pitch, if you will, of what Magna is and what your role is um, at Magna, if you don't mind. Sure. So Magna is, um, it's an internal unit within IPG Media Brands where we use our insights, our forecasts, and our relationships to provide clients with a competitive marketplace advantage. I'm on the intelligence team, so we offer reports and custom intelligence about all aspects of the advertising economy. That's uh, consumption at one end, the way consumers are interacting with media, all the way to dollars at the other end, ad revenues, ad costs, new ad tech, and more. And our goal is to be able to say where the marketplace is today and where it's going to be in five years. And the last few months have been scary and unpredictable and strange, but we think and hope that this is the time when we can be the most useful. So I have to imagine predicting out five years under normal circumstances would likely be challenging. Uh, predicting out five years given uh, uncertainty over the next five months uh, is certainly uh, that as well. And we'll come back to that uh, as we get into our, uh, our chat. Before we dive into that, Let's just talk about what it's like to, uh, we were talking about this a little bit before we went on air. What's it like to be working remotely? We're now kind of several months in, um, you know, we at Magna had a very kind of close knit group. We were very kind of uh, connected, uh, meeting every day. What's it like? How do you maintain connectivity with, uh, with the team uh, under these kind of unusual circumstances? I mean, it is, I think we're all acclimating a little bit. It's certainly strange, as we were just saying before we started, we're all going to be Zoom yeah. experts by the time this is done. 
I think one thing that was a little lucky for us at Magna is that on the intelligence team, we're leveraging researchers and planners and strategists in 70 different markets. So I have conversations on the phone and on email with them all day. But in some ways, we were already, uh, a lot of our day was already remote because I haven't had that constant face-to-face -face interaction with them. So I think that helped ease the transition somewhat. Um, but in general, you know, I think just trying to keep things not 100% work all the time and discuss regular life, whether that's happy hour hangouts or anything else, just to remember that the person on the other end of that video chat is a real person and we're not just all isolated in our respective bubbles all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good thing to remind ourselves of. Uh, you know, the global purview is an interesting one uh, because, the, you know, we're, we are in a global pandemic. Uh, so this is affecting uh, parts of the world uh, in different stages and phases. I mean, we're in different stages and phases here in the U.S. alone, uh, let alone on the global stage. Uh, with your global purview, um, you know, you could potentially see the future. There have been other countries that have kind of uh, are further along uh, down the path than the U.S. Uh, is. Uh, what do we have to look forward to? Do you have a, a sense of uh, what the next couple of months uh, will look like in, in any dimension you'd like, either in health crisis, media usage, consumer habits, uh, whichever whichever um, dimension you'd like to take it on? Yeah, no, you, you're absolutely right. When the quarantines first began, we immediately zeroed in on those Asia Pacific markets where in March and April, when we were, when everything was just getting crazy in the US, they were starting in some cases to go back to their new normal. So I think what we saw when we looked at those markets was huge spikes in media consumption. Uh, linear TV up 50% in China and in some other markets, Italy, 40% in India and Spain, 30% in the UK. And over time, as we watch those markets that are maybe a little ahead of the US in the COVID progression, we've yeah. seen those viewing trends normalizing. And actually in Canada, the UK and the US, it's back to shrinking year over year. And that contrasts with the streaming viewing, which was up 100% or more in many markets and has been much stickier. So those have normalized a little bit, but they remain at a significantly raised trajectory than they were from pre-coronavirus. And we think that that is one change that we're going to see globally in every market and that will be a permanent change for the consumer. Uh, the other thing we're really focusing on is the economies in each of these markets, because a key foundation of the Magna research is connecting ad spend with economic performance. And what we've seen in markets like China or like Korea that are pretty close to back to normal life is that you get this huge recovery spike in economic performance, but it doesn't get you all the way back to the, the pre-COVID normal. And that that last five or 10 or 15% of economic activity has been really slow to return. So now we're looking at even the most economic or optimistic economic forecasts say, this recovery will take all of next year and in some markets into 2022 
or beyond. Wow. Wow. That's, uh, that's sobering. Uh, certainly when you think about it, is there a, is there a country that you've seen kind of play through the kind of different phases of this pandemic that you think we are closely approximating or is that, is that a tough one since we're, we're kind of an amalgam, uh, in the U S uh, as well of kind of different States and different States of, uh, uh, of progression. Who are we looking most like? I think for a long time, we were saying we're looking most like the UK. Um, but maybe over the last month or six weeks, the uh, the expectations for those two markets have diverged a little bit. So I think now mm -hmm. we're saying, well, the US and Latin America will be very similar in how coronavirus plays out how that weighs on economic activity and therefore how that feeds through to advertising spending. Now, of course, there are quirks in every market. We get a benefit from political spend this year. But uh, I think now that we're starting to have the risk of do we need more shutdowns, that it's a little harder to equate our market to one of the markets that was maybe a few months further along. Yeah. Yeah, so um, let's just talk about kind of uh, using usership habits or consumer habits. We talked about streaming, which I think is one that we've talked about um, a, a good bit. And we are seeing that, you know, the amount of streaming advancement in terms of usage over a fairly concentrated period of time, it's been a decade of growth in maybe four or five months uh, is kind of the analogy that, uh, that I've heard. So streaming is up. Uh, what is down precipitously uh, in the U.S. in terms of usage? Well, if you look at uh, just when we look at trends of consumer behavior, just the physical limitations that the coronavirus has put onto all of us alone have huge impacts on the advertising economy. So, uh, out of home, if we talk I about yeah. sorry, I, I was just say sorry to interrupt you, but I was just to say out of home, which is a uh, a media type that I remember fondly saying it's been the only media type that has shown steady growth over the past decade, year on year on year, I have to imagine is going to be disproportionately affected as we have lots of people that are staying at home. So that's one that's uh, an obvious yeah. one. Absolutely. So we're all living that um, avoiding out of home experience. And if you look at cinema, you can look at, I think a lot of studios kicked a lot of their new releases to the fall or to next spring, mm. but it's looking increasingly like that's not going to be nearly enough time. So a market like China that has 250 coronavirus cases a day with four times the population has still said no new releases until October or November. So oh. I think as that new cinema reality settles in, you start to see changes in the marketplace, like the AMC Universal deal from last week. Uh, I think if we look at radio, that for a long time, we had radio anchored by the American commute. So that time in the automobile, listening to the radio. And now that so many more people are going to be working at home, potentially permanently, that's a really big chink in the armor for total radio consumption. And consumers are going to choose video over audio more frequently inside their homes. And even on TV, just the production hurdles from not being able yeah. to have a big single unified location. 
So we expect more news and more sports on primetime TV. And what content there is, we expect it to be animation or unscripted or other formats that can be done without a big unified location. So even if we just look at the first order physical effects, there are a huge number of implications. And I think the big trend that unifies them all is it pushes the consumer towards digital formats. Yep. Yeah, I think that's a great segue uh, because the, the topic that we're supposed to be talking about, which we're going to pivot to right now, is uh, programmatic. And uh, Magna recently uh, released their latest programmatic report, uh, and it really focused on uh, something that we talk about a lot of, a lot about at the IAB and the IAB Tech Lab, which is the deprecation of third-party identifiers, third-party cookies. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you um, what you highlighted in that report, and what's your view on that topic? Yeah, so our as you say, our spring report was all about third parties, and our general belief is that when you look industry wide. Uh, there's every incentive for media owners and ad tech companies and brands to say that cookies are antiquated and there are advanced solutions in place and that the deprecation of third-party cookies will have zero impact on their business. Uh, I think for some that's certainly true, but the reality is that for some, cookies still touch the online user experience and they still touch campaign analytics and attribution models and programmatic targeting. And so as we look at that Google privacy sandbox and what the options are that are going to be developed to potentially replace cookies, it really depends on how robust that is and how widely accepted that is to know how big of an impact this is gonna be on the digital ad economy. So when we think about winners and losers, the immediate winners are Google and Facebook and those really big players and big publishers that have a ton of logged in users. And the ones that are more at risk are potentially smaller publishers where their consumers don't log in, as well as some ad tech, multi-touch attribution, sequential messaging, cross-device frequency capping, dynamic creative, all the things that tangentially touch third-party cookies. And then I think the counter argument can be, well, you know, cookies don't really matter all that much. But I think the broader theme here is that consumers aren't pushing back against cookies. They're pushing back against individual tracking. So you see that in opt-in rates for location data on apps. Today, it's cookies under threat. You know, tomorrow, maybe it's mobile device IDs or the next day, anything else that identifies individual users and not aggregated buckets of users. So, you know, it's easy to say that deprecation is is still more than a year away, but we think it's one of the really critical things to watch for the future direction of the digital ad economy. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you might not have seen this, but we made an announcement. Uh, today um, with a, a whole host of other uh, organizations and brands and agencies. I believe uh, UM was uh, one of them. It was called the Partnership for Responsible Addressable uh, Media. And um, it's really focused on exactly this topic. How do we get 
business leaders, uh, technical leaders together to talk about what are the use cases to your point, uh, because it affects lots of different parts of the ecosystem from targeting to measurement to attribution, to make sure that we're coming up with a set of standards that everyone can operate off of uh, universally. Uh, and that is gonna be kicking off um, in earnest um, following today's uh, announcement. So lots and lots of work um, to get uh, to, that, to that place, but uh, we're encouraged by folks are really leaning in uh, now to actually roll up their sleeves and, uh, and think about what that future could look like. Uh, you know, we're, we're we talk about kind of uh, predictable privacy uh, which is what consumers are looking for, as opposed to uh, proprietary uh, privacy, which seems to be uh, what has been happening kind of in uh, individual pockets with individual players uh, in the ecosystem. Let's talk a little bit about another topic, which is tangentially related, which is uh, e-commerce. Um, you know, you, you see lots and lots of stats, um, not shockingly, as people are staying at home more. Um, you know, Amazon just came out with their earnings uh, report. Absolutely astonishing um, growth. What are you seeing in the kind of e-commerce space um, that, that is of note? And, and what do you think is going to be coming uh, over the coming uh, coming months? Yeah, so we uh, when we look at the whole digital ad economy, we like to focus in on two big drivers, small businesses and e-commerce, and they have a huge amount of overlap. And last year, for example, more than 90% of new search dollars came from e-commerce related campaigns from small businesses. And what we've seen as this crisis has unfolded is it is really magnifying the impact that these small business e-commerce campaigns have. So as Generally, when a crisis begins, you see CFOs take over from CMOs and cut budgets. But because of search and social's precise attribution, you know exactly by how much. If you cut those budgets, you're going to be cutting your revenues. And so it's a lot harder sometimes to cut those budgets. And that's, again, what we've seen with a lot of e-commerce company ad spend holding up. And as uh, we've really seen a supercharged e-commerce environment where you have captive consumers who are stuck at home with disposable income and no access to physical stores, compounded by auction prices on Google and Facebook and other big platforms that have dropped, resulting in this great opportunity for small businesses who haven't advertised before. Mm. So Facebook usually adds about a million advertisers per year. And they've added a million new advertisers in just the past few months alone. So uh, as we look forward, we say, okay, all of the new money is coming from these e-commerce related campaigns from small businesses. Uh, product listing ads are growing five times faster than text search ads. As you said, Amazon was growing by 40% product listing ads. Google search was shrinking last quarter. And so as we look at that being the big pool of new money coming into the ecosystem, social networks don't want to leave it all to Google and Amazon. They want to say, okay, let's roll out our social commerce platforms to try to take advantage of those big trends. And I think that's what we're seeing now. 
Yes, fascinating. Um, and I think that we're just going to have to watch this space because I think there's going to be tremendous uh, innovation that we're going to see uh, over the coming uh, months for sure. Um, let's um, let's just turn our attention just for a second back to a topic that you know is near and dear to my heart uh, and yours too, which is kind of the streaming space. Um, you know, one of the one of the stats that uh, is routinely cited over and over again in the industry, uh, and I remember the kind of bar chart uh, that you created, and we kind of uh, presented that all over the place, which is kind of the the usage versus the ad revenue uh, in the kind of OTT and uh, connected TV space. And there was a huge delta between where consumers are and where the where the marketplace is putting their dollars. I guess the question to you would be, um, do you think we're making some progress there? I guess the answer is yes. But why is it taking so long? I mean, what what is the, what are the challenges that we face that you think we need to overcome? I mean, I think, again, we keep tracking that stat. And as you know, it, it's sort of What's the latest, by the wider. way? It became wider and wider over time. So the latest is connected TV is 12% of consumer time with media, and connected TV ad spend is 2% of the total bucket. So again, I think what you see is that when it's 3% of media time or 5% of media time, it's possible to ignore. But now that it's 10 or 12%, it's reached that critical mass. And what we usually expect is that there will be a rubber band relationship between those two things where the consumers move and eventually the ad spend gets pulled along. And that's what we're seeing now. Uh, OTT spend last year, or what, two years ago, was $2 billion. Next year, it'll be $5 billion. So we've finally seen that exponential increase uh, I think what might have been holding it back for a while was, for a long time, the budgets were in the same bucket as TV. Uh, also, there was a lot of inertia and anchoring. So brands were growing spend really fast, but from a very small base. So it didn't really reach that critical mass that we're finally seeing now. Mm. Yeah, we're, I think you're right. You know, we likened it... Uh, I liken it to kind of the the mobile um, world. You know, the year of mobile, the year of mobile, the year of mobile. It was conti- you know, it was continuously consumer usage outpaced uh, advertising uh, drastically until it wasn't. Until it kind of uh, was a hockey stick growth, and now mobile is the de facto kind of uh, yeah. uh, you know mode of consumption. Yeah. The year yeah. of CTV. Yeah. You know? We're seeing history repeat itself. So it's just a question of when does that. I like the rubber band analogy because that's uh, that's appropriate. It's getting it's getting pulled along until it kind of reaches its maximum tension point, and then it'll be uh, kind of uh, grow uh, astronomically, which is uh, which is nice to see. I think that'll be soon. From from all intents yeah. and purposes, I think that's going to be happening soon. You know, one of the uh, other areas which is kind of related to that, which you know, we talk to uh, agencies and brands and um, uh, all over the ecosystem about kind of what their belief is. Is the pandemic going to, you know, bring uh, advertisers back to kind of the comfort of what they're familiar with, um, uh, or is it going to spur them to try new things? Um, what's your take on that? Is it is the pandemic going to spur innovation, or is it going to drive us back to kind of the, the tried and true? I think I'm definitely in the innovation camp. I think it's very hard to have a big 
cycle of disruption and not see innovation forced, um, whether or not advertisers want to, they'll be forced to just because this is going to be such a big inflection point in how consumers interact with media. Uh, I think in general, too, when there's so much change and so much disruption, that's when we see innovation all across the economy. So if you just look at past recessions, the, the 70s recession, Microsoft was founded. In the early 80s, you had Adobe. After the dot-com bust, there was the first iPod. You know, last recession, we saw the founding of WhatsApp and Venmo and Groupon yeah. and Instagram yeah. and Airbnb and Pinterest and Uber, a whole host of household company names. I think when we look back on this period five years from now, we will say, well, this was the period when a whole new host of tech companies came into existence, and that's going to provide new and different venues for advertising. Amen. I hope so. Uh, and to that end, um, have you met with any, like, what's the most innovative or new company that has come across your radar uh, as of late? Anyone? So, you know, when we are, we try to elevate the ones that will have the biggest impact on ad spend. So what we've actually been focused on is not so much the new companies, but those new social commerce tech platforms that are growing within the big social networks. So a lot of our digital reports this fall are going to really zero in on social commerce and how that's going to be the new battleground for digital ad spend. Of the X billion dollars coming into the ecosystem, we think that that's going to kick off a real fight where we're no longer talking about just Google and Amazon. We're going to be talking about every social media network taking that e-commerce spend. And you don't need to look any further than Google dropping their commission for Google Checkout to say uh, how quickly the fight for those dollars can escalate and how drastically that can change and accelerate consumer engagement with e-commerce. Got it. So it's acceleration of technology within some of the existing players as opposed to kind of new upstart. Yeah, there will definitely be. And we have our media lab looking at very small new startups. Yes. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. But um, we like to zero in on the ones that will shift the dollars the most. Got it. Okay. I've got two last questions for you. One, which is, uh, I think this has been uh, really good and pragmatic and kind of grounded in uh, reality, which sometimes reality is uh, not as optimistic as we'd uh, like it to be. Give us some optimism. What are you heading into 2021? What are you most optimistic about? Uh, what For a long time, we've looked at, because as you said, we look at all these global markets, we've looked at where are there innovations that are not here in the U.S.? And a lot of times we point to the digital ad market in China and say, well, the sort of interconnectivity of e-commerce with mobile payment and banking and social media there has created this whole host of conveniences and tech platforms and apps that don't exist in the US. And for a long time, the inertia of the ad economy not really changing much from year to year, I think locked us into a trajectory that wasn't catching up. Whereas now I think uh, this disruption as 
scary and terrible and unpredictable as it has been will potentially be the kick to get that e-commerce adoption um, to where it might be in some other markets. In China, it's twice what it is in the US. And I think as we make our way there, and as we hopefully put the pandemic in the rearview mirror, there will be far more conveniences and platforms and tech interactions that we never even really considered in the, U in the US coming to us from foreign markets. Got it. I like that. That's uh, that's a good bit of optimism that we can all kind of latch on to. So I'm going to latch on to anything we can right now. So absolutely. Uh, all right. So we're going to end up with uh, with our speed round, which some people excel at and others don't. Uh, I have my uh, my bets on you. I think you're going to you're going to crush it. So it's going to be I've kind of word many times. So yeah, word association. So I'm just going to rattle off a couple of words, and you're going to tell me the first thing that comes to mind. Um, all right, first one is 5G. 5G, distant future. Okay, you could do it speedier than that. I think that was good. Right. We're just getting warmer. Right. All right, next one, artificial intelligence. Overhyped. Oof. ACR. Privacy risk. Hmm. Upfronts. Uncertain, flexibility. Attribution. Last click. Mm -hmm. Data. Lifeblood. Mm, addressability. Storytelling. Now we're getting good. Podcasts. Underutilized. Zoom meetings. Here to stay, sadly. Frequency capping. Uh, Anti-annoyance. Netflix. Playing defense. Reach. Elusive. CES. Virtual. Forever virtual. Forever virtual. How could you imagine a 100,000 plus virtual uh, trade show? Uh, I think that's going to be really amazing to see what, what happens there. So that is, uh, you did great. That was awesome. I had no doubt about it. You crushed it. Uh, and it's great to see you. Uh, it's great to hear all the things that you're up to at, at Magna. Keep on kind of with the uh, with the predicting the global uh, purview. I think you're absolutely right. I think some of the things that we're seeing play themselves out in other parts of the world are going to give us an indication of what we have to come uh, in the U.S. And uh, and hopefully this will not last for uh, for much longer. But you seem awesome. Thanks a lot for coming on the show. And I uh, will talk to you soon. Yeah. Thanks for having me. You bet. All right. Um, we have uh, podcasts. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. IAB has, uh, IAB There is a podcast. You can listen to our whole archive uh, wherever you get podcasts. And it's not just IAB There on Tuesdays. Our IAB Policy Podcast uh, happens and it features experts discussing the legal and regulatory developments cha changing the industry. And then on Wednesday, IAB leaders discuss what's urgent in digital advertising on IAB Real. So to uh, tune into those podcasts, go to iab.com forward slash podcasts to get everything uh, that you need. On tomorrow's IAB There, we look forward to welcoming IAB Tech Labs President, Dennis Buckheim, and Senior Director of Product Management, Alex Cohn. On Thursday's show, I am incredibly excited to once again come back and be joined by eBay's Global Chief Marketing Officer, 
Susie Deeran. IAB There is a production of the Interactive Advertising Bureau. Our show today was produced by Connor Healy, Joe Ants, John Ward, and Carrie Villanueva. I'm David Cohen, and thank you for watching. Come back tomorrow, because if it's 2 p.m. Eastern on a weekday, you know it's time to IAB There. Thanks a lot.